Welcome to The Square, your podcast from the Iowa League of Cities, bringing you current and important topics from the communities across the state to your city's square. With your host, Mickey Shields, Director of Membership Services at the Iowa League of Cities, and Bethany Crow, the League's Communication Coordinator. Our hosts bring you topics that matter to your town square. Hey, we're back for another episode. Hey, Mickey. Welcome to The Square. Welcome. We're in our comfy confines back at the League office after a couple months on the road. Yes. Nice and well set up by our astute engineer. Yes, I'm sure he appreciated the extra time to get set up without <laughs> <laughs> all the eyes on him. So uh, It's good to be home, right, Ryan? He's nodding his He's head. He's nodding his head. Yeah. So what are we going to do today? Well, today we have a lot of things going on at the League to cover, and then we're going to talk with Charlie Nichols um, from Lincoln County. He's going to talk with us about nuisance abatement. We'll have a League staff interview. Mickey's going to answer a question, and we're just going to have a lot of fun. That's right. So a few things, uh, like we always do, we have to get started with a few newsworthy things uh, going on with the league. Uh, first thing is, uh, legislative session is still going. It's, uh, we think, going to be winding down here shortly. We hope by the time you listen to this, right. legislative session is over. That's right. Is that safe to say? Yes, I think it is. <laughs> we talked to Robert Palmer and Daniel Stalder from our government affairs team. I think they would say that is the mm-hmm. case, but you just never know. I, I hope that's the case. <laughs> <Right. I laughs> we've, yeah. we've been putting out action alerts like nobody's business uh, the last couple of weeks. So been pretty hectic. So I'm sure many of our listeners have followed that. And if you have not, you can always follow along with our legislative link. As Bethany mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, we've sent out action alerts through that same network uh, for timely issues. And then after the session is over, we'll wrap things up with a new laws of interest report that kind of yep. goes through each of the laws that were adopted during the legislative session that are important to city government. Right, and I imagine there might be a few special reports coming out on the recent property tax legislation or some educational events related to that as well, right? Absolutely, that's a, obviously a big piece uh, to any city government, and uh, we've had a lot of questions on the property tax legislation, which was adopted just uh, the other day here, and uh, we will do certainly a more focus on that given the importance, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in a report, uh, Cityscape Magazine mm-hmm. will have an article, and then at our budget workshops in the fall, we'll definitely cover that in more detail. Perfect. So, uh, so more upcoming events, uh, May 15th in Corville, we'll have our Nuisance Abatement Conference, which will be our second annual uh, Nuisance Abatement Conference, and that's, as the name implies, going to cover all sorts <laughs> of guidance and uh, information and tips for cities on doing nuisance abatement work, and uh, in fact, Charlie Nichols, our today's uh, guest, uh, will be there speaking on some of the work he did when he was uh, working for the city of Burlington with their Healthy Neighborhoods program, so that's pretty exciting. We'll have a bunch of other speakers there as well. It's a day-long event, and we'll cover all all sorts of things on uh, how to do a nuisance abatement checklist, uh, how COGS can help out with nuisance abatement efforts. We're going to have a couple of catch-all sessions that we're calling that will allow simply attendees to ask all their questions. When Anytime you go to a nuisance abatement workshop or conference, a lot of people just like to fire away their questions on their local nuisance issues. So those sessions will be set up just to do that. So it's going on, on again, May 15th. Right now you can register online. And we'll take registrations uh, up till we sold out, sell out. Last year we did sell out the uh, this yeah. conference. So if you have not registered, uh, this is the time to do it. For sure. You also have some small city workshops coming up in June, right? Yes, those are our uh, annual small city workshops. We'll do six locations around the state in the first three weeks of June. Registrations open for those as well. Those are yep. Those are open right now. And so what's this year's topic? It is called Rural Housing 360. So housing development, housing opportunities has become 
a critical issue all across the state, big cities and small, but small cities uh, probably have a little bit tougher time mm -hmm. finding solutions that work for their community. So that's what we're going to focus on there. And that Rural Housing 360 program is something that was born out of the Iowa Rural Development Council, which the league participates mm -hmm. in. And uh, we're pretty excited about this program because it's a collaborative effort that brings state and federal agencies together along with the private industry and, uh, and then uh, local cities that want to participate. And the thing that I think is nice about that is that it brings more people to the table and potentially mm -hmm. more funding to the table because a lot of times the funding is the big uh, Mm -hmm. problem yep, to get sure. something started. Well, that sounds like a great event. What else do we have going on in June? And then, yeah, June 14th is our big uh, golf and bags yeah. fundraiser, and we're getting pretty fired up for that. We're going to have some staff out there that mm -hmm. are going to participate in both the golf outing and then the bag side of it. Yep. So, uh, you know, the, I'm a golfer, and I, I am love not. the golf, but a lot I'm of people not. are not I'm super golfers. excited about those bags. Anybody, I think, what did I say at the board meeting? Anyone can participate Anyone in can. this classic backyard and ticket right. game. <laughs> That's right. No experience needed. You'll still have a great time. So right. there's no reason not to come, right? No reason not to come. Uh, it's a great event to, to have some mm -hmm. fun, to network, mm -hmm. get out of the office, for, and hopefully the weather uh, cooperates like it did last year. Right. And it gets, uh, it gets a lot of people together to just kind of, chill out and do something less strenuous than and meet some new people right yeah, absolutely. and which is always important and it's all for a good cause the tim shields endowment which supports education for city officials so that's right mm -hmm. yeah so hopefully you see you out there uh, it, it's like bethany said i think it's 25 dollars for the bag yeah it's very cheap super and cheap. easy yeah yep. we'll serve you some food mm -hmm. yeah you get snacks with it too so yep. i mean great deal yeah <laughs> No, it'll be a fun event. June 14th, registration is also online for that. That's going on right now. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then in June, we also will open up our registration for our annual conference, which yes. will be September 25th and through 27th in Dubuque this mm -hmm. year. So that's our big statewide conference that is designed specifically for city officials. It's our premier event. Uh, we put a lot of work into that. Bethany has coordinated the conference for a number of years and does an excellent job. And one of the things that's pretty exciting is that it's also our, our annual awards event where mm -hmm. we get to recognize different individuals and cities for work that they've completed. And um, one of those is the All-Star Community Awards, yep. which is uh, anyone that's participated in our conference knows how important that is to the cities that have won that award. Yeah. And this year we had a record number. Yeah, we had 34 applications, which yeah. is, I've been here more than a decade and we have never had that many. So a lot of great things happening in cities. And in, in addition to the people who will be honored at the banquet, we have that bracket style competition that'll start probably in August that kind of highlights all of those. So it's just a great way to learn about what other cities are doing and maybe steal some ideas for sure. your own community. Yeah. So, again, June is when we open up registration for that. So yep. keep your eyes peeled. June 2nd. With uh, Leak Weekly on our website. Yes. We'll announce all that social media. Yep, for um, sure. So it's a, again, that's a big event for everybody. But the, at the conference, we also honor individuals. Like you mentioned, usually we give out a Ronald Smith Award, which honors a young city official or someone new to city government. Um, Hall of Famer. Hall of Famers. Um, and we also, um, one of the reasons we have an annual conference is to hold our annual business meeting. It's in our bylaws. We have to do that every year. And so that's also where we elect our new board members. So if you have any young city officials that you'd like to nominate for the Rondowitz with Award, or if you're interested in serving on a league board or committee, definitely reach out. Now is the time um, because a lot of those decisions are being made in the next couple of months. That's right. Well, I think we're going to take a short pause here, and then we'll come back and talk to Charlie Nichols. Perfect.
Okay, well, we're happy to have Charlie Nichols with us. Charlie is the Planning and Zoning Division Manager for Lynn County. He also used to work for uh, the City of Burlington and did some zoning administration work down there. And that's how we got wind of him. He's uh, been a speaker at our conference on the Healthy Neighborhoods program that they've done that does a lot of great work with nuisance abatement in Burlington. And he's continued in that role with Lynn County. And he's going to be a speaker at our upcoming nuisance abatement conference. So we're very excited to have Charlie here with us. So thank you, Charlie, for joining the, the Square. Happy to be here. Great. Uh, so just getting started here, let's start with a little background. Uh, where did you grow up and how did you get into city government? Sure. So I uh, grew up in Mount Vernon, Iowa, and I wish I could say that I always knew I wanted to work in city government or uh, local government. But the truth is I wasn't really aware of local government and all the work that went on uh, behind the scenes at all when I was growing up. And I first really started learning about the gears of municipal government in the urban planning graduate program at Iowa. And I knew it was something that I'd like to do um, kind of in the future. And then I, I interned at Coralville while I was going through that graduate program, and it really cemented for me that this is what I wanted to do for my career. I, I think that our jobs are perfect for people who are interested in a lot of different things, and every community has you know, a host of issues that are unique to that community. And it's also been really rewarding for me to work for organizations, cities and now counties that have a direct impact in the place where I live. So kind of by the very nature of the job, I have skin in the game, and that makes the, the work that I do really engaging. That's, That's cool. cool. The city I didn't... of Corville really <laughs> churns out some uh, some great talent, don't I'm they? A, I'm a fellow <laughs> alumni. I'm not sure how we haven't figured this out before. Oh, yeah. So I assume you uh, got to hang out with Dan Holderness and Scott Larson and that whole gang? Yeah, um, and uh, Chuck is the, the president when I was there of the, the graduate program. Oh, yeah, Chuck Connerly. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. That the city of Corville does some amazing work. So I'm sure you learned, like I did, uh, quite a bit about city government. That city's mm -hmm. always into different projects, and there's a lot of growth there. So it's a lot of fun as a younger city official to get your feet wet. Yeah, and I just saw Kelly received an award from the, the League of Cities at their last conference for mm -hmm. the work he's been doing there. That's so right. That was cool to see. Yeah, very much so. So from a community development perspective and, and a zoning official's perspective, for that matter, what are the problems associated with nuisance properties? Uh, I don't think there's just one problem. I, there's three <laughs> problems that are kind of commingled that, that I've run into with nuisance properties. Uh, for one, they're really time-consuming. There's no cut and dry. This is going to take one month. This is going to take two months. Every, every uh, nuisance property is its own issue. And it, it takes a lot of time to go through one-year notice process. And then if you do end up going to court, that adds a whole other layer on it. Um, and so if you have, say, a, a citizen or a group of citizens who are concerned about a property and they want to see their local government responding to it, it's, it can be difficult to communicate that, yes, we hear you and we're working through it, but we have to go through our process and it could take months before we're actually able to do this. And, and oftentimes, uh, I, I believe in the 80-20 the principle that says 80% of your work comes from 20% uh, of your projects. And I think that's pretty true mm -hmm. in nuisance work, too, where 20% of the properties are these recurring nuisance properties, and they take up 80% of your time. And so that's one issue. You really have these recurring, recurring properties, recurring property owners that are uh, putting a large burden just on your time as, as government staff. Uh, the second problem is they're unpleasant and they're controversial and that nobody really likes to deal with them. Uh, yeah. Telling someone that their property is a nuisance usually makes them unhappy. And that <laughs> is a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty uncomfortable 
conversation to have and not there's really at least there's no program I've seen either going through Iowa or elsewhere where they prepare you for those kind of uncomfortable uncomfortable conversations so it's something oh, yeah. you really have to get used to uh when you do them mm-hmm. and oftentimes when it gets to the point where you as a local government official are stepping in to take care of something there's been a breakdown in other social systems um yeah and local gov- governments especially nuisance departments we we have cleanup and enforcement tools but tackling some of the more pervading issues that make a property or a neighborhood a recurring a recurring nuisance is difficult and not something that local governments are necessarily equipped to do. Mm-hmm. So it's um, once it gets to the nuisance issue, it can be you know, difficult to deal with, and then finding a, a solution where everyone's happy um, is also something that's a challenge. And yeah. then the third one, and this is something that I've come across more for the smaller cities, you know, the ones that are under 10,000, is that nuisance enforcement and abatement is expensive. If you're really going to be serious about it, you're going to need to spend some money and budget some money for this. Yeah. Um, and just for example, when I was in Burlington, we were setting aside $80,000 a year uh, for nuisance abatement. That did include ash tree removal, but about 60000 was just on abatements like a grass mowing, mm-hmm. trash cleanup, that kind of stuff. It didn't even include a demolition cost. So wow. yeah. It, yeah, if you're going to actually have a, a citywide program, you're going to have to set aside money for that. Yeah, that's so true. So how can cities utilize strong nuisance codes and property maintenance codes to address pro- nuisance properties? Yeah, so we're, we're pretty fortunate here in Iowa that we're a home rule state, um, and that legislation really gives uh, local governments a pretty wide latitude to define what constitutes a nuisance. Mm-hmm. And every city's nuisance and property maintenance codes can be a little bit different depending on their priorities. I know a lot of cities can just adopt the International Property Maintenance Code, but there are also a lot who take a look at what exactly is the issue in their community and try and tailor their codes to address that. So that's really your first step, kind of determining what your high-priority items are. And then the next step are to transfer those priorities to your code and define the process, uh, which people will be notified for a nuisance violation, how they can appeal, and be very specific about what the enforcement measures are. No two nuisance cases are exactly the same. They all have their little idiosyncrasies about them, but a clear nuisance code can establish the path for remedying a nuisance violation while also making sure you don't get burned in court, and that's a pretty important thing. Yeah. Um, it can also take some of that unpleasantness out of the interaction between the, the code official and the property owner. It's still not enjoyable, but if your code is clear on what a nuisance is and what the process is for it, it takes it away from being the city official versus a property owner and more towards a situation where the the official is carrying out the vision of the council or the board as codified in the ordinances. So I think we're going to take a short break, right, yeah. Bethany? Yes, for sure. And we'll be back with more from Charlie. So, Mickey, we're back with the Your Questions Answered segment. And this month's question for you is, can we hire high schoolers to work for the city? This is a timely question uh, as we roll into the spring and summer months. Mm-hmm. A lot of cities utilize seasonal employees, of course. And, yes, they can absolutely hire high schoolers. I have a feeling the answer is more complicated than that. Yeah, though. that certainly is. There's this whole thing called the United, uh, United States Department of Labor mm-hmm. that has set many rules regarding uh, teenage work. Yes. So the, the, the first cutoff is 18 and older. You can do any type of job, and you can work for any number of hours. And then they group 16 and 17-year-olds together, 
and they can work unlimited hours, but they cannot perform hazardous jobs. So, so in only, a city, what does that mean? So primarily what that means is your 16 and 17-year-olds cannot perform any jobs that are hazardous, what mainly means uh, power machinery, power equipment, as that is deemed dangerous. What so, about like putting chemicals in the pool? Uh, you better be careful about that. It's probably not, that's probably considered a hazardous job for the most part. I think there's some that would not be considered that way, but you check with your pool manager for sure. Um, most mowing is okay, but the things like wood chippers, um, you know, tree trimmers, that's going to be probably no, no, if it's a power operated tool or machine. So you have to be careful with that. Definitely check with your human resources person, your city attorney, mm-hmm. any department heads, call the league. Mm-hmm. The other one, well, real quick, the other group is 14 and 15-year-olds. They can also work for cities, but they have very limited hours, and also the non-hazardous mm-hmm. jobs is what they can do. So it's it's a little complicated, as you said, but yes, you can, and that's how, what a lot of cities do to get mm-hmm. those seasonal work done, that, all that seasonal work done. And it's a great way to get some youth in your community to get involved with city government and get a summer job. And mm-hmm. so I don't want to discourage anybody whatsoever, but just do it the right way. Yeah, know the rules. Cool. Well, thanks for that answer, Mickey. You bet. Great questions. And, and if anybody has any questions in the future, you could always send them to the square yes. at iowaleague.org and hopefully get your question read and answered on a future episode. Yes. Well, we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back to Charlie, right? That's right. And we are back with our guest, Charlie Nichols, our Lynn County's Planning and Zoning Division Manager. Uh, so another question we had for you, Charlie, was uh, we mentioned before that you spoke at our 2018 annual conference on the Healthy Neighborhoods Program in Burlington, which is something that we think is a proactive way to address uh, nuisance abatement or nuisance property issues. So for anyone who may not have enjoyed that workshop, can you describe a little bit how the Healthy Neighborhoods Program began and how it works? Yeah, definitely. So for those, of those listeners who weren't at the presentation, the Healthy Neighborhoods Program gives matching grants of up to $1,000 per property owner to groups of at least five property owners in a two or three block area. Uh, and the intent of the program is to improve the appearance of a neighborhood collectively uh, to demonstrate that the people there are investing in their neighborhood and improving it. Typically, nuisance programs are reactive and they can be perceived negatively by the public either for one, not doing enough, or two, for doing, uh, doing too much. But ultimately, though, the goal of a nuisance enforcement uh, program is to revitalize the neighborhood. You're trying to improve the area. Um, And the Healthy Neighborhoods program takes a carrot rather than a stick approach to that. Uh, And it's also uh, demonstrating that the community development department and the city as a whole is taking a more comprehensive approach to improving and maintaining the appearance of neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. We got the idea for this program for an article about a similar program modeled in Oswego, New York. And we were really excited about it because we had been thinking about different ways to approach nuisance abatement and revitalization, uh, neighborhood revitalization for a while. And this seemed like it really fit the bill. And it was very popular right from the get-go. We actually raised all of the funds for this program uh, from local businesses and foundations. And it was a grant administered by the city. Uh, The council did put some money into it, but the community was extremely supportive and funded funded it almost entirely. And then the first year we had to turn down a couple of great neighborhood projects because we just didn't have enough funding to go around. So mm-hmm. it's been very popular. It's been a good success. And I think that, you know, any community could really have modeled the same program and, and see success there. Wow. That sounds amazing. Um, 
kind of taking a different, it sounds like you have had a lot of experience in this area and probably have a lot of fun stories to tell off air um, about those experiences. <laughs> but, but what words of wisdom would you have for other cities that are interested in improving their nuisance abatement work? Uh, my first, uh, my main advice would be get the buy-in of your elected officials. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, as a, as a city official or as a government official, you're tasked with carrying out their vision and their goals. So communicating with them about what their priorities are, being upfront about the cost and the difficulties of running an effective nuisance program are really important. Mm -hmm. I've heard uh, Mickey talk before about a nuisance abatement plan, and I think that'd be a great way to have a discussion with your elected officials and with your community on what your priorities are and what are acceptable abatement methods. You know, not every community is going to want to do nuisance abatement. They might just be okay with an uh, informal notification process uh, and they and that might work for them. Mm -hmm. uh, in Burlington, we used the winter period where we had a lower number of nuisance complaints to do a proactive program addressing dilapidated accessory structures. So I think an annually updated nuisance plan would be a great way to identify some of those more proactive programs that you might not be able to get to during the summer and spring months, and then address, addressing some of those more time-consuming nuisance problems. Um, so yeah, really getting the buy-in of your elected officials, setting your priorities, and then coming up with a plan for how you're going to get everything done and how you're get, what methods you're going to use to do it. Yeah, that's excellent advice and something I think we would definitely echo. Well, for, hey, we want to thank you, Charlie, for joining the Square and wish you well in your endeavors at Lynn County. We miss you in the city world already. But uh -huh. uh, again, you'll be at our Nuisance Abatement Conference here in a few weeks, and uh, we'll see you there. Hey, Mickey, if I could go off script a little, I had a of couple course. of questions for you, if you don't oh, mind. Oh, boy, here we go. You can put me on the yeah. spot. Here. I love this. I love when we go off the outline. <laughs> Let's hear it. Let's see how Mickey is off the cuff. Yeah. This is the second year of the Nuisance Abatement Conference, right? That's correct. The first year, I registered what I thought was a, a pretty good uh, time in advance, but it was, already, <laughs> it was already booked. This has been really popular. Why do you think this Nuisance Abatement Conference has been so popular? Uh, well, nuisance abatement is a, a timeless issue in local government. As you know, I think the change that has happened in the last few years is that we have an aging state and we have aging infrastructure in our local governments, our cities and counties, and it's just kind of all coming to a head. And in years past, you know, I think when I started in local government, it's a long time ago now, um, the private sector largely took care of properties that became abandoned or derelict because there would be somebody interested in redeveloping that property. And that's just, again, we're an aging state. We're losing population in a lot of our communities. And I think there's just not that much interest anymore in, the, in somebody just taking on an old home or an old commercial building in, so, in many of our towns. And so they just get left vacant. And that perpetuates a lot of other problems if, if the city doesn't address it. And that's what happens. The city must address it because nobody else will. And that's, I think you mentioned this earlier, earlier, Charlie, on how it's not a fun task. And a lot of cities don't, you don't run for council or you don't really sign up to be the city clerk thinking you're going to be a great nuisance abatement officer. It's just, it's not a desirable job. But more and more, these, again, these properties, uh, if the city doesn't take care of it, who will? And so that's where it ends up being in the city's hands. Well, and if I can jump in, one of the questions I had while listening to you guys, especially Charlie, talk was, you know, this, this sounds like it can be a lot of work for a city. So why is it so important that a city consider this? Why is nuisance abatement so important for a community or for our state? Go ahead, Charlie. Oh, thanks, Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think 
the the state of neighborhoods and really the way the way a city looks is kind of your first glimpse into how people view where they live and how people view their communities. So if if there's a, a property that looks very run down and, and in the center of town, that gives the impression to visitors and the people who live there that this really isn't a place that people care about. And that kind of gets to the heart of the way people feel about their towns or their cities, the places they live. Uh, it's a very, it can be a very emotional issue for people who live there. So finding a way to improve those properties and do it in a way where you're not really bringing a hammer down or you're not being making things very difficult is something that's hard to do, but is important for a lot of people. A lot of people rank the appearance of their community as, as one of the number one issues Absolutely. that they see for their city. Absolutely. I always give the example of yeah, I've driven this state, uh, in this job over and over and you and Mickey can, doesn't use MapQuest, so he takes a lot of odd roads. <laughs> On purpose. I <laughs> or Google get, Maps, get nobody uses MapQuest yeah. now. He a bit of, Google Maps. bit of a reputation in the office <laughs> for going off the beaten path. But you can, you can be in an area where two cities, almost the same population, 10 miles apart. One town, you can tell, cares, and they have pride, and they're clean neighborhoods, clean properties, and then 10 miles over complete opposite. Mm -hmm. And I always ask the question, where would you want to live? If you were looking for a town to live in in that area, maybe you got a job in that county mm -hmm. and there's a handful of smaller communities that attract you, you want to live that small town lifestyle, which is great. Where would you, what would you pick? You'd mm -hmm. probably pick that clean town. And mm -hmm. so that's part of the, why it's so darn important to get this done correctly and, and for cities to be on top of it, because it's, it's that culture, it's that pride in your community that, that sends a message not only to your own residents but to visitors and people potentially looking to move to your town. Yeah, and I would add also that the deferred maintenance of a property can spread out from one property, and that was mm -hmm. one of the focuses of the Healthy Neighborhood Program is we're going to take a handful of houses together in one area and really improve them all at once so that the people who live there have more of a buy-in in the place they live and they have more of an incentive to keep up their property because if you live next to a house, that is visibly falling apart, you know that the work you put into your house or the money, is, you're not going to get that full mm -hmm. return. So right. there, it, it does tend to spread if you get a concentration of houses that have deferred maintenance in one area. Absolutely. So do you have any other questions for me, Charlie? No, that's it. I look forward <laughs> to your session at the conference. Same to you. Same <laughs> to you. Well, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, we're back with our Get to Know the League interview, and this month we have Katie Wheeler, who I'm looking forward to getting to know maybe a little bit better because we've sit, sat next to each other for 11 years here at the League, and so, I don't know, maybe I'll get to learn something new about you, too. Yeah, excited to be here. Cool. Two of my favorite people. <laughs> Three. Ryan? Three. Ryan doesn't Ryan. count? Yes. <laughs> or did you mean Mickey and Ryan? <laughs> wait. Yeah, wait a minute. Who knows? Who Which knows two who people did you mean? No one Boy. will ever know. <laughs> Great start to the interview. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait it off. <laughs> so to start out with, just give us a little bit of your background. Where did you grow up, go to school? How did you come to the league? Yep. I grew up around the Des Moines area. I went to Southeast Polk. Go Rams. <laughs> um, I went to college at Grandview College. I double majored in graphic design and graphic journalism. 
when I graduated there, I went to, I worked at an ad agency for a little while, and it was really not the best fit for me. And then I ended up at the league, and I've been here for 11 years. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, there's more to the story than that, I know. But uh, let's uh, talk about what, when you're not in the office, where can you be found? Outside. <laughs> outside. outside the office. No, not outside the office. Outdoors. I really, I love to be outside. Love. What love, do you do? Love the outdoors. The little softball like with the play, kids. play catch with the kids. Yeah, we play, the girls play softball. So we've been at the fields a lot this time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have three, three daughters, three right? Three girls. Yep. Yeah, they all play softball. That's been fun. Starting the softball season out again here. Um I don't. We like to be outside. I like to yeah. do yard work. I like to. You do any you know, gardening? I do. Mm-hmm. No. We just built a fence around our garden this year. Ooh. Pretty excited about it to keep our dogs out <laughs> and the weeds. I hope it keeps the weeds out too. You, you let me know if that like works. That. <laughs> cool. Uh, this is a tricky one. I think that stumps people sometimes. So, what is the best career career advice you've ever received? You know, I listen to the podcast faithfully every month, so I had a feeling this was coming. She has, she sits next to me, so she has to listen to it every month. Yes, so I don't know if I would say that it's career advice, but it's just life advice. I think kindness matters. So I read a quote the other day that said, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. And I just, I really believe kindness matters, and it makes a difference in the workplace and in your personal life. So... Mm-hmm. I would say, I mean, my mom always said that to me, too. And mm-hmm. I say it to my kids. Yeah. Kindness matters. Yeah. And yeah. that comes through. The way I mean, you treat people matters. Yes. Anyone who's yeah. uh, met Katie would say that you're one of the kindest, kinder people uh, ever. So, yeah, yeah I think it's, yeah. You, you'd certainly work and live by that motto. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> think of a kind response. Uh, oh. This is funny because Katie's one of the more talkative people, but I think putting you on the spot has got you <laughs> tongue-tied. This is great. This is great. He's enjoying this. So I what am. do you enjoy about working at the league? I, there's lots of things that I like about the league, but hands down the people that I work mm-hmm. with in the office and outside of the office, mm-hmm. I really enjoy. Um, I like the variety of projects that I get to work on mm-hmm. at the league. Um, I like that I get to try new ideas, whether they're – good, bad, or indifferent, <laughs> and yeah. I can try them out. Like, we did speed dating, and that was fun, and now we're not. And it doesn't mean it wasn't a success, but I just enjoy the mm-hmm. being able to try new things. Yeah, for sure. What is it that you do at the league here, actually? And maybe yeah, you should, should explain. Started with that. And maybe you should <laughs> explain speed dating just so people aren't super confused. Okay. Um, I do kind of have two different roles at the league. I do... All of the graphic design for the league. So I work on Cityscape Magazine. I do um, all of the publications, anything that's printed of the leagues. Um, So I work on that. And then I also work with the Community Alliance programs. So all of our partners, endorsed, and associates, um, and everyone in between. I work with all of those folks. um, And that also means the exhibit hall at conference. So that is another big part of what I do. what was your other question? Oh, speed. I feel like you should explain speed, speed dating. dating. Just, just so people don't think we are running like a dating website. Yeah, just yes. so people are that's, little, that's, yeah. We're still know. legit, folks. Yeah. We are legit. <laughs> so, yeah, a couple years at conference, um, we had 
it was called speed dating, but it's really an exhibitor and an attendee, and they would chat for three minutes, and then the timer would go off, and you would switch and chat with a new, mm-hmm. you know, a new group, and then yeah, it was just a we way did to facilitate that. Yep, just, networking. Yep, right? it was a networking event yep. for sure. For sure. Well, I was hoping to learn something new about you during this interview. So, well, question that we used to ask that we kind of like dropped off for our advice question was: tell us something that we that people might not know about you. I'm an open book, Bethany. <laughs> that is true. I feel true. like you talk to me, you're going to get to know me pretty quick. <laughs> Unless it's on the square where you're super reserved. I guess, yeah. Well, shoot. Yeah, I mean, this is the... I live in this the country. I mean, I guess maybe oh. you don't know that. We have 16 acres. Um, there you go. We, yeah, we a live pond. out. We have, a, we have a pond. We Officially, you're a swan resident. I'm a schwan resident. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Many people probably haven't heard of that, but yeah, yeah. we built a house out there um, about 11 years, 10, 10 years ago, I guess. People might not know that your first like month at the league, you found out you were pregnant, and I feel like that's how we became great friends. That's true, yes. <laughs> and then I was pregnant like every year after that, I feel like. <laughs> your kids are close in age, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yep, had my first child right when I started at the league, which was just kind of a surprise, but yeah, it all worked out. Sure and did. yes, I was very thankful for my my new friend at work <laughs> because it was a little awkward. Yeah, Katie and I started the same week, so she felt like she could share her secret with me, I think. I don't know. <clears throat> well, thank you for joining us on The Score, Katie. It's been really fun to have you. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Mickey. All right, we'll, <laughs> so take, serious. A, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back with our trivia question. <laughs> Well, we're back with our trivia segment of this episode, and last month we asked a trivia question that I think is very close to Mickey's heart. It sure is. What is the oldest municipal keyword here, municipal golf course west of the Mississippi River, Mickey? The answer is Waveland Golf Course here in Des Moines, and it is, uh, I love golf, as I think we talked about a little bit, and this golf course is about five minutes from uh, my house here in Des Moines, so I've played it a great number mm-hmm. of times and it's a very challenging course it's a very hilly course but it is the, their claim to fame it's the oldest municipal golf course west of the mississippi city golf course right uh so it's pretty interesting and it's pretty cool that the city of des moines gets to claim that and it's you can definitely feel it when you're on the golf course it's got a historic feel to it and it's a lot of what fun. does that mean a historic feel to a golf course oh, i'm not a golfer so yeah. i mean just like what does that mean just the way it's laid out it's shorter than most golf okay. courses the way they lay them out these days uh, and mainly because hundred some years ago, the golfers didn't hit the ball nearly as long as they do these days. So that, you know, back then, I'm sure it was a, a properly length golf course, but now it's it's got a shorter feel to it. It's a little tighter. Okay. A lot of big, tall, mature trees, of course, because they've been right. around for a long time. So great sledding hills. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. So it's it's very challenging, but also a very enjoyable place to to golf. Cool. Well, for our next month's or whatever this month's question, we're going to hand it off to Ryan because this is a question that is close to his heart. So we're gonna, I'll ask the question. Ryan, you're going to provide the – oh, no, actually, you asked the – I'm sorry. Let's do that. Either way. No. You ask the question, ask and it, then next month we we'll answer, answer it. Yet. Right, right. And for our trivia question this month, what state has the most disc golf courses? Per capita. Per, per, capita. per, per capita. capita. Okay. So, so if you've listened in the past, Ryan's a uh, avid disc golfer. He's uh, been part of down in Winterset trying to get a golf disc golf course there. He's played golf courses all around the state, so he knows the sport inside and out. 
and I de he definitely knows the answer to this question. It should be pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> it should be. Well, tune in next month. We'll have the answer to that and probably some fun facts to go along with that answer. Uh, that I think a lot of people would be maybe a little bit surprised, um, but it's pretty cool too. For sure. So one thing before we sign off with this episode, uh, we'll make a quick announcement here with, uh, with a little sorrow in our hearts, and that is that uh, Bethany, our co-host, Bethany Kreil, yeah. is going to be leaving the league here uh, by the next time, by the next yeah. month, she will be. My uh, last episode, uh, number 10, we got 10 in. That's right. <laughs> so uh, I just want to quickly say uh, how thankful I think speak on behalf of the staff here at the mm -hmm. league and Ryan on the podcast here, how thankful we are for all your service. Um, all your work with Four Cities, it's been greatly appreciated, and you've done excellent work with uh, our communications, our Cityscape magazine, which is always the most uh, used service from the league when we do yeah. our surveys. We always know that, and that Cityscape magazine has gotten to a really good place, and it's uh, and that's a big piece of what we do. The annual conference is also huge, and you've coordinated that, and it's uh, always well received by our attendees. Mm -hmm. So your efforts have been. Uh, been really important to what the league has done in your time here and then I think um, on a personal note you're just a really fun person to work with mm -hmm. your commitment to this job has always come through and your willingness to um, always be there for your teammates is, is always felt by me and others and so you'll be uh, greatly missed awesome well thank you Mickey that's really that's really kind I feel like you know people have said the most kind things about me since I told them I was leaving we should like have a day where we all pretend like we're leaving and just tell each other how we really feel <laughs> seriously yeah, um, yeah do that in your city seriously you should. and that's a really great um, a great note I think sometimes we do just you know it's easy to get kind of bogged down in the day-to-day yeah. minutiae of all of our jobs whether in city government or not and um, you should take the time to yeah. appreciate those that you uh, that yeah. you appreciate. Yeah, but thank you, Mickey. It has been, um, yeah, I'm not one for speeches, and this is definitely a bittersweet decision. I'm really excited about what's coming next, but I really um, have loved working here. I think what I told Ryan when we were chatting before the podcast is sometimes you have to leave something good for something better, mm -hmm. and that's always a hard choice to make, but I'm really excited. And so thank you. It's yeah. been a lot of fun. I'm going to miss the podcast, and yeah. I'm really, really excited about this debut conference. I'm really bummed I'm going to miss it, so you all should attend yeah. um, and get to enjoy it. And, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, on that sad note, we'll, we'll be back next month, as, yeah, as always. Sure and, uh, you know, follow us as, on League Weekly and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And always stay tuned with uh, the square at iowaleague.org. Keep sending Mickey your questions for the Your <laughs> Questions Answered segment um, at the square. And, yeah. We'll see you later. See you later. I'll keep listening to you on the square. <laughs> Thank How you, about Matthew. that? We'll sign off with that. <laughs> yeah, we can